Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us. We are coming back around and doing another episode on discipline and corporal punishment. We got a lot of good questions on Sanityville about our last episode, and so we hope to address those today in this episode. I'm joined today by Tim Bailey and Max Corral. My name is Lucas Weeks. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. All right, here we are. Hello, everyone. Hi, Tim. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Lucas. (laughs) It's good to see you. How are you today? I'm good. Good, good. Hey, Max, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you, Lucas. Good, glad to hear it. Well, I crawled out of bed today to come and record this episode, and I am happy to be here. I don't know how happy these guys are to be here with me. Very happy. <laughs> we got some kind of bug going through the church, so it's hit my family pretty hard. But um, we are here to record another episode about discipline. And we've gotten a fair bit of feedback about our last episode that we thought we wanted to come and talk about some more. And in particular, uh, people were very surprised to hear Tim talk about how little he actually had to use corporal punishment with his children. And it, you know, uh, the common reaction is like, wait a minute, I do it way more than that. Like, what am I doing wrong? Is is this a problem? Am I doing something wrong? Um, I certainly had that thought. And I thought to myself, okay, once or twice a year, like, I don't know. Um, I mean, seems a lot more often than that in my house. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that. What's your initial response, Tim? Well, I think this is an opportunity for the three of us to sit here and think out loud. I think we've hit an issue today that is very, very difficult. And it's an issue that I think an awful lot of time is spent thinking and talking about it in ministry, elders, older women in the church, family situations with siblings and their children, their spouses. And I don't I don't think there is an answer for this. There's no, oh, well, this is the reason Tim said that. That's the difference between Tim and me. Mm. You know, I just don't think there's an issue like that. Well, families are going to be different is what you're, part of what you're saying, at least. <laughs> yes, especially happy families. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. Um, and so I'd like to pick at it. And that to be the episode. Okay. I like us to just pick at it. Mm-hmm. Well, then let me ask you, Max, what was your thought when you heard that? Were you like sort of thinking to yourself, whoa, that's not like my experience? Or were you like, yeah, that's pretty much like my experience? I don't know that I was that surprised about what Tim's response was to the question. I don't, I, I don't remember us having a lot of corporal punishment as we raised our children. Also, we might have had to, we might have, should have used more, but, uh, we didn't use a lot of corporal punishment. Um, there were a lot of things we didn't know about disciplining children that we learned after we were done raising them. So that's part of the thing, part of the answer I would say to you, Hmm. Lucas, but as Tim said, there is so much more. Uh, so I don't know that, I don't know that, uh, I think my experience was similar. I think I had similar realities in my home 
with the question of who was more free to give corporal dis- discipline, my wife or me, as Tim has had you, you, in his you past. Feel, you would have felt much more free to give corporal punishment, is that what you're saying? And more resistance from Annie at times mm-hmm. when I was going to do it. But, um, but that's not unusual. I think that's very normal. Mm. So the question about the the, the uh, pushback that we're getting from this is a strange kind of thing uh, because it's it involves so much more. When you think about how children need, how some children have to have more corporal punishment than others, or situations where there's needing more corporal punishment than others, right? Yeah, there are so many variables involved in that that contribute to the reality of the effectiveness of corporal punishment there are just oodles of variables in this situation which is what tim was saying earlier about how this just doesn't fit into some kind of cookie cutter we want it to we want it just to fit into a cookie cutter but it just doesn't work that way but there's going to be a kind of a pattern i mean if there has to be some sort of range of normal right well i think it's First, there you have to have faith and belief and faithfulness, but I think there are some, I think we could talk about certain kinds of contributing factors to the effectiveness of discipline. Like what? Like the the attitude or the position or the, the faith, the presence of whoever is administering the discipline, like dif, di, disagreements between the spouses over the discipline, like... Um, whether or not there's a good relationship between the mother and the children, whether or not there's a, a good relationship between the father and the children, whether or not there's emotional uh, language in the home and, and understanding in the home, uh, whether or not mom or dad is intervening with any kind of a, of a look or a statement at the point of any uh, uh, no given to a child. Any of those things could change the complexion and the effectiveness of what the discipline is. It's just a, it is a complex kind of thing. Yeah, but if I'm listening to you and I'm a parent, a father or a mother who is discouraged with the current state of my home, all right, I'm going to think, well, to heck with it, listening to you. If it's so complicated, and you can't tell me what to do, and you're certainly not going to tell me that just spanking is what's going to work because we spank all the time. I mean, that's why I'm irritated with Tim saying that he didn't hardly ever spank after his kids got older. And so, I don't know, David, Lucas, I don't know what to say because, well, it, the, it can't be that complicated. In other, in other words, what you're saying, Tim, is that some, you know, so you could take his comments to be overwhelming and just demoralizing completely. Well, he's right. I'm not disagreeing with him. Right. But I'm putting myself in the position of a father or mother who's discouraged about their kids and think they're doing something wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and want to be told what they're doing wrong. Well, listen. Yes, you want to you want to be faithful. You want to discipline your children. You want to love your children. The fact is, though, you are. We're all works in progress. To be faithful, we're we're all kind of being faithful as we fall forward on our faces day after day after day. And as a new parent, you might have had good uh, parental, uh, influence from, or, or examples from your parents on the issue of discipline, 
or any of these other variables in it. And therefore, you come into the game with maybe a little bit more going for you. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that that doesn't mean that you're you get a pass because if you have children, you have a responsibility to love and discipline them. So you got to figure it out. It's work. It is work. And sometimes you think it's just the child. The ch this child is just unreachable, untouchable. And sometimes it's not just the child. It's you. Yeah. And it's your relationship with your wife. While you were talking, I was thinking you didn't mention the relationship of the husband and wife in that list you went through. It could be due to this. this yeah. This, this, yeah. This. But I was sitting here expecting you to and thinking any disrespect for a wife on the part of the husband is going to undercut that husband's discipline of his children. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so that too is a complication factor. It's not just father and child, mother and child, father and daughter, father and son, father and young son, father and older son, mother and son, mother and daughter, in-laws, influences from school, influences from neighbor children. And then you add in the relationship of father and mother, and that is huge, you know. You know, I think as, as I think about it, to become a student of being a parent is important. Mm. And uh, somebody was saying earlier that we've had men in the church who have become students of certain things where they have recognized deficiencies in themselves. And so by becoming students, they have learned. Uh, I remember Annie and I, uh, we have through our marriage have had dogs in our house. You know, we've, we like dogs. Dogs are, they're like cheap psychology, right? <laughs> but here's the problem. I never thought about becoming a student of how to own a dog. Now, children aren't dogs. I know that. But I'm, what I'm saying is that the principle of understanding what you need to do to get the result that you're that you're needing and desiring to get is the same. You have to ha know what you need to do. And I remember when we got our last dog some 15 years ago, 17 years ago, yeah. I decided that I was going to enjoy this dog. If it killed me, I was going to enjoy this dog. This dog wasn't going to be a pain. Right. <laughs> and so I just did a simple thing and the internet was available then. I could have done this with books in the past, but the internet was available. So I went on the internet and I became a student of how to train a dog. Mm. Right. Okay. Well, who got trained? You did. I got trained. <laughs> the fact was yeah, yeah. I didn't know what dogs were all about. Mm. And so if you don't know what children are about or how to raise children or you hadn't had good examples or somebody to demonstrate these things to you, you could become a student of how to do some of these things. Mm. Yeah, I'm sitting here shaking my head now because I'm agreeing with you completely. I'm and glad because... I'm just so <laughs> discouraged to think of all the parents... And specifically the fathers yeah. it's that a, it's I a, have had to care for through the years who just won't do that. They, well, they might feel hopeless. Well, sometimes they feel hopeless, or they may just time, be proud. No, no, no. Most of the time, in my judgment, and my wife and I, this is what we talk about when we go on vacation. We talk about <laughs> individual fathers and their children. 
And in my experience, it's a combination of a refusal to be emotionally intimate with their children, a refusal to have the goal of their children succeeding in life, but rather them getting through being a dad, you know, a refusal. And maybe it's an incapacity, but a refusal incapacity to um, luxuriate in the personalities of each of their children and their beauty. Well, that's just, you're just saying to love them. I mean, but, but you, what you said is very helpful because people don't think that when you say love them, you know, but I've, I've learned that, that uh, you just, it's you, in your eyes. You, you enjoy the things that you love. Well, you know? and the kids know when they you're do. delighting in them, they, they see do. it in your eyes. I remember going into my dad's company, David C. Cook, and you know, it was a dark inside. It was an old 1800s building and beautiful, lots of wood and everything. And when I would come into my dad's office, his eyes would just light up. And I was the most obnoxious of his children. <laughs> I wasn't this perfect son. Yeah. But he just delighted in having me come in. And he'd immediately get up, come here, Tim, come here, Tim. And he'd take me from office to office in the editorial and executive part of the building, you know. Uh -huh. Then he would take me back into the warehouse and the printing press and introduce me to all his friends back there. Huh. Now, that son knows his father adores him. Mm. How do I convince, how do we convince the people listening that if a son and a daughter are not adored, they will be sexually promiscuous? Mm. Now, I'm saying it that way so that it yanks the chain on you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they will not live to please their father. Well, don't you think um, what holds so many men back is they're just so desperate for the affection of their, their children, for the maybe obedience of their children that they can't get off. They can't. It's like they have to forget about that. Well, yes. And, and, I think a lot of men are operating from a deficit. Mm -hmm. And there are two things I think to say about that one is if you can learn to get up in the morning and go to the back door and take your dog outside to use the bathroom every day mm -hmm. you can get you can get up and learn to uh, see your child come into the kitchen stand up and give them a big hug and tell you the, tell them that you love them hmm. but it's not just the man learning to give affection to his children you know, instead of nagging at your husband about the fact that he doesn't give affection to your children or whatever else you're nagging at him about, <laughs> instead go to him and say, hey, honey, mm. isn't this, isn't this, isn't she, I'm so, aren't you glad that he, and, and, and encouraging him to actually exercise the ability <laughs> of giving I, affection <laughs> to his kids, right? You know what I was going to say is I was going to say. Instead of being angry, he doesn't give affection to the children. How about how about you go over and cuddle him and tell him you love him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, like, oh, absolutely. It's like women you know, are, fill, can fill be the so, tank, fill so the tank sensory, up. so cold, so judgmental. So we have to realize that the relationship between mothers and children and fathers and children can never rise higher than the relationship of the husband and wife. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so wives, if you're just if you just would love your husband and uh, just, you know, hug him, you know, he, he might not, he might be a cold fish. So help him to become a warm fish. 
you know, hug him and let his reservoir fill up with with love and affection and touch. And then he might have some more capacity to actually turn and distribute that around the household somewhat. Isn't it interesting how many men have black labs who are cold fish? Yeah. In right. other words, yeah. isn't it amazing how many cold fish liberals have dogs that yip yap at them and give them affection? Right. Now, there may be a lesson in that, <laughs> you know, it may be that we should think about the need for children and husbands to have black labs who are unendingly willing to obey, to run, to fetch, to, to lie on your feet, to, to, to do whatever is dog love of their owners, you know, and I don't know. I know that women right now listening to this are thinking, oh, so it's the mother's responsibility right. to love for you to say. Yeah, yeah. I know that. I'm going to write my letter right now. Send it yeah. in. Yeah. Well, can, 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 I, can, I, can I move us off the well, issue? Yeah, you can. Let me just mother. say one other thing, though, if you don't mind. Um, loving, I mean, relationships, there's nothing more terrifying than relationships. They're scary. And everyone's standing around waiting for the other person <laughs> to to fill up their tank you know and this is even down to husbands and wives children fathers mothers and that's why i say by god's grace you have to have the faith to love people you know you saying that reminds me of a particular point in writing daddy tried for fathers mm. where i just stopped and realized something and i wrote i said being a father is not about reciprocity. Yeah, that's right. And if we only love and show affection and hug and kiss and compliment when it's deserved or when our bucket is full, when our well is full, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we'll never do it. We'll never do it. We'll sure. absolutely never do it. But if you will do it with others, not because they do it with you, but because you have faith that people need you. Mm -hmm. They need your love. They need your affection. They need all this stuff. You're going to read something. Well, I, this is like my favorite, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's Ephesians 3. I, I read this to many, many people, but it just blew my mind when I saw he prays. He says, It's one of Adam's favorite. Prayers. From whom every family in heaven and on earth thrives his name, that, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that, and then the, th the thing that's amazing is, you know, it's not power so you can leap over tall buildings or, <laughs> you know, whatever. It, the Superhero! Power, right. The power is simply, and I'm going to skip, that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I mean, he's praying that you would have the power, you actually need power to know the love of God. In other words, your tank has to be filled with Christ's love. That's where you get your, your tank filled up. And Sunday, our sermon text was accept one another as Christ mm. has accepted you to the glory of God. It's that theme all through Scripture that our forgiveness is tied to God's forgiveness. Yeah. Our acceptance tied to God's acceptance. And aside so from, aside right. from Christ, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. I mean, that's what it is. And once we see Christ as he truly is, how could we not take joy in his gift <laughs> to us of children? Uh, I mean, honestly. 
Do we deserve children? No. No. <laughs> and, you know, one other thing about that. I know people are going to think, oh, here he goes again. All right, here I go again. <laughs> you will never understand the glory of God's love for you and his acceptance of you. And so you're in a church and under preaching that points out your sin. Mm. We will not be grateful if we're under reformed pastors and celebrities who tell us that Jesus is gentle and lowly. Mm-hmm. We we have to give up trying to get pastors who will make everything in Scripture lighter mm. than it was before they touched it, especially the fall, original sin, and God's moral law. It's as we have God's moral law opened up to us that we see the horror of our need and then rejoice realizing that Jesus has paid it. This is the gospel. The gospel is never separate from the law. Mm. Never. The good news comes from the law leading us to Jesus. It's the schoolmaster. Mm -hmm. And so it's counterintuitive how you get joy and realization of God. If you have a pastor who's always telling you about God's grace, you never can understand grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to be careful about what you're feeding in terms of of the teaching and preaching of God's word, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Now we got onto this somehow because we were talking about corporal punishment. Was that where you going to go? Well, can I go back to the issue of how often we spank? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So on Sanityville, which is our private discussion area that Twitter and Facebook can't censor and therefore has top drawer discussions. So, all of you should go on to Sanityville, get a membership, and start discussions there, all right? Because it's it's really sweet to know no censors here, okay? Although, if somebody comes on and blasphemes or lies, then the administrators will deal with that, but not from political correctness. Now, on there, guys are saying, oh, what am I doing wrong? You know, I have to spank my children. And... So it's caused me to think a lot about it, to talk to Lucas, to talk to the pastors today, Jody and Max, Stephen Baker and stuff, Jason Chen, D. Wayne wasn't, Phil weren't there today. But anyhow, and also to talk to Mary Lee about it. Mm. And and so I began to think I was crazy. So this <laughs> morning, knowing you're we going to be recording, I, I, I sat down with Mary Lee and I said, lover, um, they say that I couldn't be telling the truth about how often I spanked. And she looks at me and she says, well, we didn't. And I said, we didn't what? And she said, well, we didn't spank. I mean, it was really rare. Yeah, okay. And then she said, now, when they were younger, we spanked. Okay. And I said, so I wasn't crazy. It really was infrequent. She said, yeah, it was, yeah. She said, when you spank well and young, then there's very little need for it as they get older. And then she thought for a second, she said, well, I remember one time we spanked Joseph when he was in junior high school. <laughs> and we both started laughing as we remember the occasion. You know, <laughs> I won't go into the story, but it was it's memorable because it was so rare. I mean, it just never happened. Yeah, yeah. So then she was thinking about it, and she said, you know, she said, the fact is, 
you had authority in our home. And immediately I thought, oh, yeah, right. Well, that's what I'm going to tell the people on the <laughs> podcast, that if you were me, you would have authority. And then home, I said yes. to her, and plus, they'll all think that if I had authority with the children, I had authority with you. And you know that's not true. <laughs> In other words, they would think that I'm running around, you know, do this, do that, you know, because that's what everybody thinks of authority as yep, being. Yep, yep. That's what I think we should talk about now is what is authority? She's saying, well, you had authority. Isn't that true? That if you have authority in a home, after they're toddlers, you don't have to spank very often at all. So the thing that's complicated about that is, is that you, you always were aiming for your kids' hearts. I mean, I know this about you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. But I love there, my children. There are plenty and of I men. I wanted them to love me mm -hmm. and love but God. to love God. And yeah, go ahead. Well, but there's plenty of men who certainly carry a big stick and walk around with authority. But that's not authority. Well, okay. Which is what Lucas is getting at. He's okay, saying, go okay, ahead, let's talk about what authority is okay, then, if that's yeah, the issue. Yeah, yeah. I think it's what you're well, getting at. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to open this up because, okay, you say that someone like that doesn't have authority, but, I mean, the prime minister of China, he's got authority. If you disobey him, he's going to, you're, you're going to disappear. <laughs> and so... Let's talk about the church for a second. Isn't it true that we're constantly having to teach people that the sword is given to the civil authority, but not to the church authority? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. The church authority's principal gift from God is the sacraments. You can actually keep people from baptism in the word stable. All right. And moral suasion. I think we're talking about the distinction between moral authority and, 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 and sword authority. Mm. Moral suasion and sword suasion. Okay. And if you have the authority of the whip, the rod. Okay, so what is moral but, authority? But any one of those, any authority has the ability to exercise its authority with the love of those who are governed. And every authority has the ability to exercise that authority without the love of those who are governed. And so you, Lucas brings up China and he says, yeah, you could have authority mm -hmm. in China and the people don't have to love you. You know, they might have to tell you when they see you on the street, it may be in order that they all say they love you as you drive by. <laughs> right. But the fact is their hearts, well, that's their the hearts called of Stalin and of Mao. Yeah, yeah. It's what the cult is. It's, yeah. it's, it's forcing everybody to act as if they worship and love you. And so you can see that in the church, a church might, and the people not feel any sense of the love of those who care for their souls because they don't and in the I home mean, you go to a conference and these guys get done speaking they won't give you the time of day they've done their thing it's up public and you can either adore them and adulate them or not and then the same would be true of the home yes. in the home a father might have all kinds of authority yep, and the kids yep, might yep. fear him, but he might not have any of their love and their allegiance and what he needs to have is both not the fear that he has instilled which is terror but a a fear that represents his place as god's representative let me in their say lives. something to people listening if a man in a home says i have authority all right and that authority is terror that authority is being bigger raw, raw power yeah 
the way you'll know that you don't have any of the authority we're talking about is when your children get to the point, your sons, where they can fight you, they will punch you or they will kick your wife. Mm. Do you understand? And the minute that happens, what you know is you don't have any father authority. You have bigger authority. You have older authority. You have stronger authority. You don't have any father authority. Mm-hmm. Well, you said moral authority. Is that the same thing? Yeah, yeah. Right. Whatever you want to call it, your authority has to come because your children adore you. So you're saying you have to be liked. I know. I don't care whether they like me. They have to adore me. No, I'm really serious yeah, yeah. about well, I asked the question to tease it out because yeah. um, they have to adore me. They have to love me. And it's counterintuitive because, you know, the very reason, one of the reasons, maybe unspoken, that people don't want to use corporal punishment is they think their kids are going to hate them. But it's, it's Yeah, and it's, they uh, probably but, will. But Those people, they'll probably hate them. But so. I think fleshing this out is important because Tim says, well, they don't have to like me. They have to adore me. And then, the, then what you want to say immediately is, well, what would cause them to adore you? Well, what you do is you give them all a little copy of the green book and you <laughs> put, your, put your image up on the ceiling above their bed mm. so they're always looking at you and then yep. in the bathroom on the mirror you yep. know you think about chairman mao and stalin <laughs> you know? well lucas says like you they have to like you well the fact is there is there is this there is this uh, environment of affection that is that is where this stuff has to reside so I'm saying every leader can be a dictator yeah, and get people to do what he wants them to do, but there Including won't be. Including to tell him that they adore him. But there won't be any environment that's capable of generating and carrying affection. There's no black soil. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is the authority of a home, that what it ought to be, it ought to be a place where real authority and leadership is exercised and there is an environment that's that's fertile for love and affection and commitment yeah before we ask where it comes from i want to say this we as pastors and elders at this church have been very aware that all the capital of the reform world has been spent on covid vaccination masks and tyranny and all and on and on and on and on and we have been disgusted at everyone taking their eye off the ball if you really want to understand the threat that the government is to us today it is the fact that the government will no longer support but will undercut the authority of a father Mm. and a mother in the home and that every single thing you do will be put under the scrutiny of child protective services school counselors um even the people at church with you And it is so imperative today that we as Christians teach fathers, they will live and die by this moral authority, by the affection, the liking, and, 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 the, and the adoring of their children. If you don't have your children adoring you, and the authority that comes from that, honestly, as time goes on, your authority is only going to be diminished because you're always going to be looking at what you can get away with in disciplining your children because it's a dog-eat-dog world in your home. Mm. And you can't trust that your children are not going to wait for the moment they turn 18. 
Mm-hmm. And before then, lie about you on Facebook, lie about you every chance they get to try to get out from under your authority. In other words, the beginning of authority of a father and a mother is that their children could not live without that authority emotionally, and they adore it. So go ahead and ask your question, because if we as Christians do not learn how to have the hearts of our children, mm, it's, it's all lost. I mean, it, it will not work yeah. in a tyranny government. Forget the mass, forget the vaccinations, forget all this stupid thing that we've been fighting over and study how to teach our people to have the hearts of their children. Mm, okay. That's what we have to do. Okay. Well, so naturally that leads to the question, how, how, do, how do you get that? Because as I'm listening to you talk, I mean, it is so counterintuitive that you would spank a child. To get his affection. To get his affection. That you would, dis- I mean, more generally speaking, that you would discipline. And I think to some degree, what's, what has to become clear and this is where you get into this, maybe the subtleties of discipline, but what has to become clear at some point to the child is that you are disciplining him because you can see farther than he can and actually do love him and are trying to guide him on a course to love God and to love others. Um, you know, it's what, what is that uh, phrase um, about sons and fathers as they get older uh, first. Yeah, Alexander Pope, children begin by loving their parents, then they judge them. Rarely do they forgive them. Right, right. I mean, it's such a typical process we go through. We've all, I trust, have gone through a period where we were inclined to judge our parents. And the question is, uh, so that's normal. That's normal. Um, It's essential for individuation. It starts at adolescence. That's why teenage years are so hard is because you're processing the undignified, sinful uh, failures that you have as a father and trying to maintain the love that used to come to you without question Mm. and now is being parsed out to you by your teenage daughter and son as they see you failing or not failing. Well, and I would just say you cannot, as a father, allow that, keep that from happening. You cannot keep that yeah, from happening. Yeah, you can't prevent it. it. Well, you shouldn't try either. The more you try, the worse it will be for you. They have to have the ability to do that. And, that- and you as a father, I'm going to speak as a father, you have to tell your children that you just saw the judgment and they were correct. You have to do that. Mm. You're not going to be able to die in a, with a good conscience that your son is going to take over leading the church of Jesus Christ, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is our goal. Our goal is for our children to nurture the next generation of those who love Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. our whole goal. You're not going to do that if you lie about your sins and your failures to your children. Mm. And you can't let your sins and failures keep you from demanding their love and affection. I mean, it's just so stupid. What woman who loves her husband doesn't see his sins and failures? I mean, come on. (coughs) They sleep with us. (laughs) You know? In other words, they have the most intimate knowledge of us. Mm -hmm. And so, again, you keep saying counterintuitive. Well, I don't know about... I don't know about counterintuitive. The question was, well, how is discipline what? 
you said. What's counterintuitive about it? Yeah, it is counterintuitive. It? How, why would discipline cause your children to love you? And, to and, and, and love you, yeah. what I'm thinking in my mind is, okay, one thing is that it actually is taught by us, and it's modeled by to, to us by God. But I wonder, too, if it isn't actually imprinted in us, the idea of discipline being evidence of love. Because God's, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves, and if any child isn't disciplined, they're illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Don't they know they're illegitimate? Yeah, because, I think so. Well, okay, now that's my question. But, you but, say, you mm-hmm. say, well, why is this good? It seems like this is a contradiction. And well, I say, I'm well, sitting here it's, thinking how it's actually seated. Child right. psychologists would look at you and would say, well, of course, you put them, give them corporal punishment, and you've created this like fawning fear you know, perverse relationship, you know, this is how predators against children work, you know, they hurt them. Mm. And then the hurt causes the child to want the approval of the one that's hurting them. And I mean, that's what they say, David. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that particular thing. I just know that the reality of how people work is that they, they will learn the effects they will learn the vent the benefits of being told no now the question is whether they'd have inside of them the uh the uh, re- the resident uh, understanding that they will benefit by being told no that's the question i'm trying to ask and i do believe that that's actually the case i believe that we all of us actually understand it's in us to know just like it's in us to know that God exists, it's in us to know that we cannot just run amok with our desires, but that we actually should be restrained. Yeah, but I want to get to something behind that, because I agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree with it. But it almost is selling discipline on the basis of they're stupid, we're smart, we know what they shouldn't do and how happiness comes. On some subliminal, subliminal level, they understand that you should be told no in life. Okay, mm, yeah. that's all true. But I want to get at the issue that a son does not know you love him. Forget the future. Forget yes, whether you're going to make him successful. That's what I was saying Forget from Forget whether or not he thinks that no could be something that should be a part of a full-formed meal. Vegetables, meat, potatoes, and maybe dessert, you know. Mm. Well, no. Can't, can't love be resident in the issue of legitimacy? I mean, that is a reality. It, it, let it, let it me is. describe it this way. When you say no to your son and you're going to discipline him, there is a transaction that goes between your eyes and his eyes. And that's much more important than your no, and it's much more important than spanking if he doesn't do what you say. Yeah, what's the transaction? The transaction is you look at him, you give him eye contact, and in the depth of your eyes, he sees whether you love him or not, whether you're a pain in the ass to him. He's a pain in the ass to you, you're irritated, or whether... Son, oh, I really don't want to have to do this to you, but I am not giving up on this. Yes, because because you belong to him and he belongs to yeah, you. Yeah, and that's yeah, why I that's say perfect. legitimacy. 
Yeah. Because, oh, okay. So, so I thought son, you meant legitimacy in terms of well, that's whether or what, not that's what, what was, the scripture says. It yeah, says yeah, 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 a, a son who's indisciplined is illegitimate. Yeah. And see, I love what you just said because it actually brings legitimacy to the fore when it, when you say he looks in your eye and what he sees is you're mine, I'm yours. I'm committed to you. I take responsibility for you. We're in this. God gave this. God God made this to be. And I love it. And I love it. And, and this when is they see, yes, but I am yes, not going to shirk yes. my duties. They see that, <laughs> you know. and there's something extremely. <laughs> Even your mother wants me to shirk yeah. my duties, and she's sitting there looking disapproving. I know that. Look in my eyes. It's me. I only have eyes for you. What can be more? comforting and give more context and security to a, and security to yeah. a soul than that reality well and the that's why also you can discipline you can use corporal punishment in a way that is just child abuse where mm -hmm. you communicate i'm i'm going to hit you because you just made me angry you irritated me you embarrassed me um, and it, it becomes clearly, can I read motive. something? Yeah. It says in first Kings chapter one, now Adonijah, the son of Haggith exalted him saying, I will be King. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him <laughs> by asking, why have you done thus? And so he was also a very handsome man. It's very interesting that it doesn't say his father had never spanked him. Hmm. And if you really want to know what the pain of her father-son, father-daughter, mother-daughter, mother-son relationship is, the pain is, why did you do that? Hmm. The pain is not the spanking. Why? why? Why is that the pain? Why did you do that? Questioning their motives or questioning what they did um i don't know but i had a counseling session with max the other day where <laughs> well i think it's because there's a break in the covenant that we all understand and the break in the covenant is the relationship between the two of us now the child's sin might not have been directly against you but it was yes, a, but right. it was against god Yes. And finally, all of that stuff is against That's God. And yes. so when we look at them, when we say, why did you do that? Oh, they feel our displeasure, this. but it's really that it's God's displeasure. And so he why is, is it the so placeholder. painful? It's painful because we make it very clear to them that despite our love and affection for them, God comes first. Yes. And our love and affection for God trumps our love and affection yes. for them. So we will ask them why they just did that. Yeah. Because it's such a violation of everything Christians today, being completely stupid, think relationships are supposed to trump. Yeah. Christians think relationships are supposed to trump preaching, trump sin, trump everything. Yes. Trump everything. Well, and the law. You were talking, about, talking the about the law. President Trump. You were talking about the law earlier, and you think about the law, the law is good. Oh, it's such a delight. And the law is the law gives us and teaches us the character of God. And it drives and us so, crazy. <laughs> because, because, because of us, not because of well, it. <laughs> and because the minute you understand the law is spiritual and yeah, graceful, yeah, yeah. then you understand its depth. Yeah. And then you understand the depth of your sin. But the yeah. good thing is, 
once you understand the depth of your sin, you also understand grace for the first time, (laughs) you know? It's true. Yeah, I just shared with the newcomers class. I I love teaching that class and um, just how in college, I mean, I had been a a kid who had read my Bible since I was in fifth grade. You know, I never was, didn't go act up or anything. But I remember being in college and being overwhelmed with my desperate need for Christ for the first time. And it's just, it changes everything. I remember, I remember it came out because one of my roommates said something disparaging. Like he made a joke and I just, I could not let it pass. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a confrontational kind of a guy. You're not hostile. Yeah. yeah. And so, but I had to go talk to him and say, you, I, you cannot say that because I love Jesus Christ. And, uh, I remember the years when I was first coming to terms with, and I say first because it goes on when I was first coming to terms with my completely, my inability to to do it, Mm. to keep it. And I remember consciously thinking to myself, Mm. I can't do it. I, you know, I had people around me who were saying they were doing it. But I couldn't even believe they were doing it. But I certainly <laughs> couldn't believe I was doing it. You yeah. understand? Yeah. And it, and then to realize that, oh, you can't do it. <laughs> well, and so God, God had to do it. So then, I mean, that crisis, we ideally want repeated in all of our homes with it's all of our children. Conversion. Yeah. That's what it is to be born again. And if we're in churches and under pastors who will not use the law as God ordained it for the gospel, how on earth are we ever going to have that right in our discipline of our children? Mm-hmm. We're not. Yeah. We're going to be superficial. We're going to we may get sexuality right. We may have our sons know how to shoot guns and our daughters how to wear lace. Mm. And they may go to square dances. <laughs> yeah. But it's just not going to work. And my heart grieves, literally grieves after a lifetime of ministry mm. at the families I have seen who have tried to turn the gospel into the law. Mm. And I say that intentionally, that it can be fulfilled, that you need to observe need this to rule and this yep. rule and this rule and pedo communion and, and weekly communion and, and masculinity and, and classical school and truth, beauty, and goodness. And, you know, it just goes on and on. And I grew up in this in Wheaton. I grew up in this. The, the things that were held up were different. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of weekly communion, paedo communion, it was don't smoke, drink, dance, and sign right here to mm-hmm. be a member of the church that you won't do those things. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was all these conformist, liturgical kind of righteous deeds that you had. And then, as a kid, you would know the children of the elders, the children of the president of Wheaton College. You, you knew all these people, and you knew who they were as as a teenager, you you knew who they were, mm-hmm. and you knew that the reputations of people were not in any way connected to who they were. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you knew the parents that simply wanted conformity, 
yeah, that wanted to present a good face that were aimed at superficial law keeping and not at the heart. Whereas I was in a home, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but I was in a home where my father was a, you know, a 10 foot hat pin to pop the hot air mm. of the church. Yeah. But how does all this comport with, I mean, we started this conversation with trying to puzzle over how it is that you disciplined your children corporally so little in the beginning. And so how, how does this? Well, I wonder, I wonder in what you guys just said, there are two sides or ditches that you go into. One is that there, that we can keep the rules and here are the rules and we can keep them. And it's just about rule keeping. Mm. And the other ditch is there really aren't any rules. And so, you know, and we're Christians with no rules. Yeah. Grace. And, grace but we grace. have grace, but there never were any rules really. That was all just a fabrication, the rules. <laughs> and, and really as that comes to roost in the family, both things produce the same outcome they produce uh children who are lost yeah they're just lost they're lost because neither one of them really got to know the character of god neither one of them really got to see god at all and so they're lost and it's awful because then we see them as they just as they just uh go into dissipation whatever dissipation and whatever they go into and it and they're gone and the only way for that for this to be held is that we go back to actually introducing our children and i think this is where it comes back to the question lucas of discipline as we act, we go back to having uh, the commitment to introduce our children to the character of god hmm. by by representing ourselves the character of god even though Part of what we're introducing them to is the reality that we ourselves fall short of his character and, and need his salvation ourselves, just like they do, right? But that we're coming back to bringing, presenting to them and presenting to them and presenting to them God's character in love, in affection, in the, in the fertile soil of the home. Let me right? tell a story about one of the things I'm thinking as I as I listen to you guys is that people don't realize that because we didn't spank as the children got older does not mean we did not discipline our older children. Mm, yeah. And I would say far and away the most intensive discipline of our children came when they were in their teenage years. Mm. Sometimes right before they got married. Okay. It's more complicated too. Well, and it's intense mm -hmm. because at that point you realize that you could alienate them permanently and they're about to leave your home. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. And I want to tell about one time when I was upstairs working in the bedroom at my desk and I heard Joseph speak disrespectfully to his mother down in the kitchen. Yep. And that was unusual. Mm. And I hopped right up out of my chair. And I was downstairs, and Joseph was wide-eyed. He knew that I was on a mission, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I caught him in the door. I didn't touch him. I caught him in the door of the kitchen. He was fearful because he knew I was down there to deal with him. I mean, it was the only reason I would come down with alacrity, you know. I was there. Yeah, yeah. 
And I said, Joseph, and he was about six inches from me, standing up against the door jam, and I was facing him. And I said, you are never. And I got to the word never, and a thought came into my mind. And the thought was, you stupid idiot, why do you think he spoke that way? <laughs> it's because of you, you stupid idiot. But I'm in the middle of saying something to him, and I have to keep going, <laughs> you know? And so I say, you will never. And then this, this little voice is going all on, you know, inside me. But I don't let on, I don't let Joseph know that little voice is there, you know? Yeah, yeah. You will never speak to your mother that way, ever. Very intense. Mm -hmm. But that voice did its work. And without missing a pause, and I said, now, let me ask you, do you know why you spoke to your mother that way? And he's looking at me like, and I, you know, he, he's, he's aware of my authority in that moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, trust mm -hmm. me. And I'm not spanking him. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, no. And I said, well, let me tell you, it's because you have heard me talk that way to your mother. And I should never speak that way to your mother. Hmm. Well, now he's completely confused. He thought he was the one being disciplined. <laughs> but now I'm telling him that he's just doing what I've taught him to do, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I look at him and I say, so here is what we are going to do. I respect you. And I trust you. And you are old enough now to tell me no, when I do that to your mother. But don't you do it when I do it. You wait and ask me to come privately. Mm -hmm. And then privately, you rebuke me. And you have my permission to do that now. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at it and I said, don't you ever speak to your mother again that way. Now, I tell that story because I think it shows the necessity of our children knowing that we are very aware of our sin mm -hmm. and that our sin doesn't remove our authority and our sin doesn't mean they can sin. Mm -hmm. This is not a mutual agreement to not care about sin. Mm. Have you ever had, uh, well, Lucas, maybe your kids are too young. Have you ever had your kids rebuke you about yeah. Things you've said with your wife. I think all three of my children have at different times looked at me disapprovingly or I said, have or said had things. I my children. Well, yeah. it, it won't necessarily be your wife, but absolutely. Oh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you never forget those things. Yeah, I don't. Mm. I, I don't. Yeah, my kids are pretty young, but I, I've certainly had occasion to, you know, apologize to them or even open up. So maybe we need to touch on again the the accusation from the world is going to be child abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And no no understanding of the distinctions that we're talking about. We're freely acknowledging here in this conversation that there is a kind of hitting that is totally inappropriate mm -hmm. and evil, evil, and will have evil results. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a kind of hitting that will have amazing, amazingly fruitful mm -hmm. results and not in the way, not that the kids are automatons, or uh, rather, I'm sorry, not automatons, but like robots that just do exactly what you say, 
but that they actually have they respect you they respect you they know that you care about them and have wisdom and so they want to hear well can yes but can i say let's just be honest if we look at the if we look at the if we look no let's not (laughs) (laughs) if we look at the great experiment of raising children over the last uh over the last 40 years and see the move from the enti- the conspiracy being that all parents were going to remove foolishness from mm, children yeah. to this conspiracy that that all parents were going to uh, sustain and protect foolishness uh, okay. in children. So, okay, who is doing the child abuse? So, what yeah. you're saying is, by the Listen, fruit you shall know. Them. I'm saying that children today in our public schools, places where they get no. No, we're yeah. in in cities where you have to you have to steal over a thousand dollars worth of material before they'll even arrest you. Yeah, in this culture, that's the abuse. Yeah, well, the it, abuse of children to not thwart them, to not teach them, to not say no to them is child abuse. That is child abuse, and the and the idea we shouldn't. I don't think we should even entertain the idea that. Uh, spanking children is child abuse obviously i know what you're saying i know that you can beat children and and abuse children with beating and i know men do and i know women do and i know that's wrong but i look at that and i don't think it's 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 not like it's horribly wrong and it's just horribly wrong in the same category as people who won't ever tell a child no because they are abusing that child and setting their trajectory forever as horrifically as those parents who who uh, break their bones and bruise their bodies. Well, it makes me think of the, uh, the you know, I see on social media people saying, so what is the deal? Why are there so many transgender youth people, kids in our culture today? Where did this all come from? And it's seems to me that it's just the, it's just the, that it's the cool thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just mm-hmm. a fad. And so, yeah, these children will be physically torn apart because the adults in their life are not going to just tell them, stop it. No, you're not. I've heard atheists talking about this and saying it's just pure child abuse. Yeah. Pure child abuse. This transitioning crap is just pure child abuse. Well, I want to address this issue of abuse for a second because I keep saying this over and over again. Listen. If you want to read the books called Churches That Abuse, if you want to read the blog posts, if you want to read the sites, if you want to go to Wartburg Watch and Julie Roy's and all these places, the moral of every story, except, you know, about every 10 to 15 ones, is, you know, they'll put in a, a puff piece about Franklin Graham, you know, sending lima beans to, <laughs> you know, this, that, and the other. But then... The main theme will come back, and that theme is always you can't trust leaders. Mm. And when they talk about leaders that abuse, all right, and churches that abuse, what they always focus on is pastors who use their position of authority and power to get money, to get fame, to get their egos stroked, to get their lust satiated. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's always what their narrative is. They have no other narrative. But when we get to heaven and stand before, or when we get to the judgment seat, we stand before the judgment seat, we will find that far more abuse has been committed by pastors who do not warn the sheep when God says that his judgment is coming. 
Mm. That that is what Scripture warns pastors against. And so that must be the thing that is most chronic on the part of those that God gives authority to, mm. is that they flatter their people. And you read through Scripture. I've done it my whole life now and mark the places that signal what is true and false shepherding. Yep. And it is consistent that they flatter the people that they, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Acts 20, they hesitate to tell the people what God tells them to tell them. Mm. Why? It's not because, you know, they're they're telling them, you know, Ron Enroth is this dude my whole life. I've just been disgusted by him. He wrote a book called Churches That Abuse, a professor at Westmont where Mary Lee went to college. And one of the examples that I saw in some newspaper like 10 years ago is, and he pulled this out. He found some pastor in LA who had a church softball team. He'd sit at the side, and if he didn't like the way they were playing, he'd tell them the next game, all of you are going to have to play left-handed if you're right-handed and right-handed if you're left-handed. Hmm. And so Ron trotted that out as the horror of churches and pastors that abuse. Well, for every pastor, I mean, let's, Let's be honest here. <laughs> if that For every was... pastor who forces his church softball. Let's throw with their non-dominant yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah. If that is what we want everybody to be on guard against, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, <clears throat> listen, the real problem in the home and at church and in the world is that nobody will discipline. Yeah. That's the problem. Nobody will tell the people the law of God and how they've failed. Nobody will open up the holiness of God, okay? In other words, that is the abuse. And there is not one website, there is not one shrew out there mm. who is trotting out examples of the unfaithfulness of God's shepherds who will not say no when he has said no. 499 prophets telling the king, you're going to win. It's going to be a great, great day. Yeah, tell the story. Well, it's, it's, such a good story. it's Micaiah in, yeah. in the Old Testament. Is it Ahab? Is that who it is? And also the, the uh, king of uh, Judah is there. And I get those kind of things confused in my mind. But, but uh, all of the prophets are universally saying, yes, it's going You're to be great. It's going to be great. And <laughs> yeah. this is what I think about with families, with, with uh, people today with authorities today. Mm. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Everything's good. Everything's good. And so the one king that's visiting says, well, you know, isn't there a prophet <laughs> from the Lord? And I always read that and I think, what were those, all those other prophets? Were they not from the Lord? I mean, here it was God's people, right? Come on, do the one about the guy with the horns. Well, but the guy with the horns, yeah, he's makes some, he makes some iron horns and he fashions them and he puts them on his head. And I mean, he's on display, this guy. And he's like showing, this is how you're going to be. And you're going to all pastors in the PCA, CREC. Yeah. And then, so the king asked, or, "Well, isn't so, isn't isn't there a prophet yeah, from Will Smith? <laughs> isn't the there a prophet around the world? <laughs> he had such honor to defend." Yes, yes. Now the story's derailed. I guess. No, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Don't well, you have isn't a there a prophet from the Lord who can prophesy for us? Yeah. And the king said, "Ahab says it well, says no. Yeah, well, there's yeah. Then Micaiah, <laughs> but he never says anything good. Never says keep anything good. The story. It gets better." 
And so one of the guys, the prophets, goes to get Micaiah, and he says, now listen, Micaiah, we're all given the answer, and this is the, this is the line that we're given. And Micaiah says, well, I can't say anything but what the Lord says. And the guy says, well, listen, this is what line we're all given. So Micaiah comes in front of the king. And a- I see, love this part Ahab best. knows, Ahab knows, Ahab knows who tells him the truth. And that's why he doesn't like Micaiah. And so Ahab says, what do you say, Micaiah? And Micaiah says, go. You're going to win. You're going to win. It's going to be a great day. And Ahab says, oh, come on. Haven't I told you not to lie? It's like, why did this other king make me bring you here? You know? And Micaiah says, well. Okay, you you're, want the straight dope? You're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. Everybody's going to run. You thought the news was bad before I gave you. You're going to die. Everybody's going to run. It's a bad day. And then Ahab says to the other guy, see, this is what he says to me every time. Listen, and he was the we faithful all have, prophet. We all have the president that we want. When we had President Trump, that was the president we wanted. Now we want President Gore. Or no. Biden. 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 Yeah. Yeah, we didn't want Gore. They thought we did, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now we have Biden. We all have the pastors we want. Mm. And the thing that I think we have to realize is that it is a rare church that has the humility and meekness before God that they will hire and keep a pastor who will preach the truth. And that's the thing as I come towards retirement. It just boggles my mind. You know, people will think that a church has the personality of its pastor. Mm -hmm. And I would say yes, because they hire a pastor with their personality. And so if they're rich people who are very proud, they will have a very proud pastor who they will make rich. As Samuel Johnson said, it might as well be that he who drives fat oxen should himself be fat. <laughs> I've always loved Johnson saying that. And so what we have to realize is that our children right now in the preaching and teaching that they sit under the pastoral care of our churches are going to be what they eat. Mm. And we as parents are going to be what we eat. And so if you're in a church where you think, well, I, I get my private guilty pleasures from the internet or from listening to podcasts or this, that, and the other thing. Oh, no, you don't. Mm. You know, I feel like do not listen to this podcast if you have not taken steps to find a pastor. And I'd almost say, I don't care what his doctrine is <laughs> if his doctrine causes him to be faithful to correct and rebuke with great patience in and out of season. You know, is that a doctrinal issue? And I would say yes, in terms of being a good father and mother, the first thing you have to do is have a, fa- a pastor who fears God. Mm. If, if you don't fear God, what on earth is the point of listening to this podcast? You mm. know, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can have your doctrine, doctrinal things all lined up nice but without any fear of god 
Oh, absolutely. That's what so. the Reformed Church is today. Yeah. You know, there's no fear of God in most of our pulpits, in most of our session meetings, in most of our homes. And it's because we're fat and rich and complacent. Mm. And we don't have to know any details about churches and states and cities and pastors. All we have to do is just look at history. Mm. And when the church, I mean, this is what Moses warned the Israelites about. They were going to take over houses that they didn't build, orchards they didn't plant. They were going to be sitting in fat city. And he says, then you'll get proud. And you'll say, look at what I've done with my own hands. Mm. And that's precisely the cycle of history. Well, and so, you know, what we're saying to bring it back to kids is you have to be humble. You have to recognize your own sin. And you and your wife have to work on that together. And it's, it is that black soil, that, that environment in the home that, that children need to and grow. And the environment of the home is the product of the environment of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those two things go together. I mean, yeah, you think about the people in our church and the impact they have on us as pastors. Mm-hmm. They give us the strength to preach. They give us what to say in counseling sessions. They constantly feed us discernment, wisdom, faith. I was thinking about in the scripture, the accounts of how the people, various people interacted with the prophets and their relationships to the prophets. And there were people who didn't want to be around the prophets and there were people who wanted to be around the prophets. Mm -hmm. And there was a universal kind of a fear about the prophet coming to town, right? And I'm not saying that in relation to that this is how everybody should be about their pastor. I'm saying that this in, in relation to how the the condition of everyone's heart that's in a church. There are people who look and are looking for someone who will tell them the truth. And there are people who are looking for someone who will tell them a lie. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are an admixture of the two, right? And so they're, they're just, they need to be confirmed in desiring the truth, right? And so a pastor gets great strength from people that he preaches to and that he counsels who look to him to give them the truth. There's, there is so much strength in it. And a pastor who's in that condition or in that situation ends up learning and becoming a better pastor for being there yes i remember when i was first in the ministry at the age of 30 just left seminary just been ordained out at this country church there was a woman about six foot six foot two tall josie dykstra very dignified probably in her mid 80s at that time and as she left one sunday she was a woman of few words she was dutch and as she left that sunday she handed me a tiny little scrap of paper And as she handed it to me, she said, this is a request that you will preach from the prophets. She said, we don't hear enough sermons from the prophets. Hmm. Hmm. That's fascinating. Sweet. Yeah. And so you think about how it's just true that you have to have integration between your home and your church. Hmm. And if you think that you can just have outside advice and outside inputs and books on marriage, the helpful marriage book, Daddy Tried, a podcast, you know, Future Men by Doug, you know, Trips, uh, Shepherding. You can just maintain. 
it's just not going to work. You have to be integrated. You have to be devoted to the Church of Jesus Christ. God intends children to be disciplined and raised within the mother church. Mm. And so this is not all on you. It's on the church. That's why, you know, this last Sunday, we all promised to help in the raising mm. discipline of all those children, you know? And this is normal that that we use the church. I remember when I was in junior high school, I lied constantly, and my dad caught me in one lie. And he said to me, you're going home with Joe Coughlin. Well, Uncle Joe was fearsome. He'd had polio, and he was strong, and he had started Christian Service Brigade. You know, he was a man's man. And and so I went home with him, and we— and my dad, at, when I was in probably, what, fifth, sixth grade, had passed off the discipline of his son to Joe Coughlin, mm. who was another man at the church. You're going to go home with Joe Coughlin today. Yeah, yeah. So I get in the car, and of course, nobody wanted to be alone in a car with Joe Coughlin. Okay, mm. you know? We get to his house, and I'm going to have lunch here. I didn't want to have lunch at his house, you know? And I'm sitting there in the passenger seat. He turns off the car, and he turns and looks at me. He says, Tim. Your father told me that you have a problem with lying. Is that true? And I looked at him and I <laughs> said, yes. And trust me, I had a problem with lying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was right. My dad was right. I knew they were right. And I mourned it. It was a real problem. He said, well, let's pray. So he closed his eyes. I closed mine. He said, Father, Tim has confessed that he has a problem with lying. Would you please take away his line hmm. all right let's go in and eat i kid you not from that point on i did not lie hmm. i didn't lie and i'm sure it wasn't because of the prayer mm -hmm. but because my father had passed off the discipline to another man now of course i'm joking <laughs> I don't know. I didn't lie after that. Mm. My father said no. Uncle Joe said no. I went home with Uncle Joe. He prayed, and God answered the prayer. Mm. And that's why I say you can't overemphasize when it comes to spanking and discipline and raising children that fear God and love his son. Mm. You can't overemphasize the necessity of the church, mm. our mother. This episode exists because of feedback we received, and we absolutely love feedback. So please, we want to know what you think about whatever you listen to on this podcast. The best place to give us feedback is at Sanityville. That's sanity.warhornmedia.com. It's kind of the comment section for Warhorn Media. And there at Sanityville, there's a post for each podcast episode where you can leave comments for that particular episode. I'm going to start putting that into the show notes for the podcast episode so you can just click right from your mobile browser and, and leave us a comment. Uh, but uh, please, we love to hear what you think. Let us know. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.